Good morning. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders, a pastor here at the church, and we're grateful that you're here today. Um, we are very, very blessed that the Lord shows up. <laughs> and I want to say thank you for praying for our young people. Uh, I really challenge you the last two Sundays to take that upon yourself and pray. And, uh, and you can see just a representation of what God did. Those are not shallow testimonies. Did you get that? That's not the, oh, you know, I didn't really go to camp, but I'm glad I did and praise God. You know, that's, that's a lot of camp testimonies you get. Those, that was depth. The work of the Spirit in each of those three, and there's many others. The, a lot of others could have given testimony. So your prayer is a vital part of that work. And again, like, like Molly said, I wanna thank the moms group because they've been praying by name for all the staff and for all the campers. And that is just the work of the Lord. I'm so grateful for that. If you have your Bibles, uh, take and open with me to Matthew chapter 18. And we will get there in a moment at verse 21. We've been in a series talking about being peculiar, set apart, distinct from the world. We've looked at several uh, different pieces, and I, I want to say thank you for the very strong encouragement and support that you gave to me last week. Uh, I am very grateful for all of the love that people have shown me, and it's been a bit overwhelming this week, so thank you. Um, this morning... We're talking about forgiveness. And you know, our community, our, excuse me, our culture just doesn't do forgiveness very well. Culture just doesn't do it. We do vengeance. Uh, the movie's called The Avengers, not The Forgivers. Uh, we do vengeance real well. We do spite pretty good. Uh, we do uh, getting even pretty well. Um, we love a good story where a guy who's been taking a beating, uh, gets back up and beats his offender even worse. Don't we? I mean, I grew up on movies like Rocky and Rambo. Yeah? Clint Eastwood's movie, Unforgiven. Whoa, that was, wow. The Equalizer. Yeah, there you go. The Count of Monte Cristo. Gladiator. <laughs> we probably all agree the movie just wouldn't have been as good if Danielson hadn't beat up those Cobra Kai bullies. Right? I mean, that was, wow, it's what made it so good. Yeah. I heard John Tyson speak about some, um, some historic houses that have been built over history and they've been built out of spite. They're called spite houses. Google it sometime, spite houses. I did some Googling and I, I was amazed at what I found. Like one property owner who had a tiny piece of land, it really was not big enough for anything, but it sat between two houses and he offered to one of the neighbors to sell it to him so it could add to his backyard. But the neighbor, knowing that he really couldn't do anything else with it, offered him only a tenth of what it was worth. And this greatly offended the, the property owner. So he was so angry, he went to the other neighbor. And that neighbor said, listen, man, I already know you talked to the guy. 
I already know he, what he offered you. I'm going to offer you less. He was so mad that he researched what could be built on that sliver of land. And this is the house that he built. It's only 55 inches wide, uh, just enough for that door to be placed there. Now, but to be fair, it is a wedge-shaped house, so at the backside, it's 15 feet wide. Now, the, the, the rumor, the, the, the story goes that the owner built this house, moved into it, and lived there till he died, out of spite. Now, there's another story that says that's not what happened. It was actually uh, a couple that got divorced and the woman was given the front yard of the land and the man was given the house. And so she built that house in the front yard. I don't know which story is true, but they're both spiteful. (laughs) Or here's another spite house. Four stories high but only 10 feet across at its widest point. Now, here's the story about this one. It was built in the late 1800s after two brothers inherited land from their father. While one of them was away fighting of all fighting in the Civil War, his brother took up the majority of the land and built this big, amazing house. It's not seen there. That's apartments on either side of this now. And when the, when the soldier got home, he was left with just this small piece. And out of spite... He built this house that ruined the view of his brother's house and blocked the sunlight from coming through that valley, that alley. Now, here's my favorite. This thin wedge-shaped building is built on 0.03 acres. It's in Beirut, Lebanon. So, Anna, you need to look that up when you're there. When we come visit you, we expect to drive by this apartment building. It was built by a man wanting to spoil the sea view of his brother after they couldn't agree on a joint use of the land. And it appears to be an ordinary apartment building, 13 feet at its widest, but wait, it's only two feet at the narrowest. Yes, you're seeing the two foot wide section of that apartment building, all built out of spite, to block his brother's view. It's called Abasa, which means the grudge. <laughs> or in slang, the middle finger. So many things done out of spite. Because when you're offended or you have an ax to grind, it just feels good to get even. It feels good to get revenge. At least it does for the moment. Researchers tell us that forgiveness is good for our health. Uh, An article in the Harvard School of Public Health says, practicing forgiveness can have powerful health benefits. Observational studies and even some randomized trials suggest that forgiveness is associated with lower levels of depression, anxiety, and hostility, reduced substance abuse, higher self-esteem, and greater life satisfaction just by forgiving. But if forgiveness is so good for us, why don't more of us do it? C.S. Lewis says, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. When it's personal, 
and it's my thing that's been offended, it's harder to let go. To be really honest, forgiveness is emotionally hard work. And it's often complicated by the history that we've lived, the facts of our lives. Things are hard. People don't treat people well. Sometimes families don't treat people well. Abuse, neglect, silence, betrayal, infidelity. When those things have been done to you, it's hard. It's hard to forgive when you've been so deeply wounded. And it also raises questions in the process, like, should we forgive when they haven't repented? And should we forgive those who show no remorse? You know, I think it's a complex issue. And the church, unfortunately, has done a disservice because all too often we promote a version of forgiveness that is light and shallow. We, we encourage people to just sort of gloss over the offense and to minimize its damage. But this kind of lip service can leave a gaping wound that needs to be healed. Jesus came to heal the very deep wounds that you may carry. The ones that were inflicted upon you by those that may have been closest to you. Those that you trusted. Those that were supposedly committed to you. Those that said they would always be there and now they're not. If you're here today and that's the kind of wound that you have, I don't want to do you a disservice by just saying, get over it. But I do want to do you a service by saying, Jesus is here to heal you. And a wound that is healed becomes a scar. And a scar becomes a testimony. And a testimony is what we use to overcome the evil one. It's also what can unlock somebody's life when they need hope that there's a way out. Why should we forgive? Especially when what's been done to us just hurts so bad. Well, without minimizing what you've gone through or oversimplifying the answer, the real reason that we need to forgive others is because when we don't, it affects the way God forgives us. It actually blocks our intimacy with him. It gets in the way of the way we can relate to him. When we pray for people that are going through struggles and difficulties and they're having to let something go, they're needing to be freed from something that holds them back, delivered from that which keeps them down. Most of the time, what keeps that locked in to a person lodged into their being is unforgiveness. And when that person can come to a place of forgiving, sometimes themselves or certainly others that have done damage to them, sometimes even 
they have to forgive God, not that God did anything wrong, but that they blamed him for it. But by forgiving and by letting go, it's amazing how that gets dislodged from a person's life and spirit. It gets expelled because what's been holding it in is an unwillingness to forgive. You remember that Jesus taught us how to pray. And this is what he said in Matthew 6, 9. We'll get to the one I told you to turn to in a minute. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know this, right? Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Forgive us our debts, our trespasses, the things we did wrong, sin. Forgive us those things as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one. Now, most of the time when we recite the Lord's Prayer, we add on this, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But not all translations have that in your Bible. And that's because uh, the oldest manuscript of that book does not have that in it. And so in the New American Standard, it puts it in brackets and gives you a footnote. This is not in the oldest manuscript we have. In the ESV and the NIV, it's not there at all. In the King James Version, it is there. But I don't want to get hung up on that. The thing that is in every translation are the next two verses. We don't recite these two, by the way. <laughs> it's easier to end on, thine is the kingdom and the power. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Forever and ever. Oh, oh, amen. But maybe we should end it like this, verse 14. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Wow. Bit of a downer. But it's true. Paul said to the Ephesians, Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness and wrath, and anger, and clamor. One version says brawling. I don't know if we have any brawlers in here. Let all of that and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Christ, excuse me, as God in Christ forgave you. Any of that stuff in your heart? Bitterness? Wrath, anger, brawling, malice, slander. We have to get rid of it. We must get rid of it. Because God forgave us, we must forgive those who have done wrong to us. As you can imagine, Jesus had a whole lot to say about forgiveness and unforgiveness. And there are so many verses I could have pulled out this morning, but I really felt like we'd go to this one that I asked you to go to. And that is Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. And then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Now, mind you, Peter's being really magnanimous here. Most Jewish rabbis would have said, forgive three times and then no more. And so... Peter's more than doubled it. So he's thinking, 
I'm pretty big about this forgiveness thing. Do I, I forgive my brother seven times? That, that's got to be right up there with what you would do, Jesus. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. It doesn't mean the 78th time you get to hold it against them. It's speaking about this whenever is necessary idea as many times as it takes. And then Jesus said this in verse 23, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. And when he began to, to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, which is what they did when you couldn't pay your debts, you were sold into slavery with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. And so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master, the king of that servant, released him and forgave his debt. I want you to notice it didn't say he released him and said, I'll expect you to pay everything just like you said you would. He released him from his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. Just think about that. He refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And when his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now here's this anger. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Let me give you some idea as to the amount of money this man owes. Herod the Great's annual income or revenue from his entire kingdom during this time was 900 talents. And this man owes 10,000 talents. That amount would be more than all the taxes in Samaria, Judea, Syria, Phoenicia combined. It's estimated that he would have to work 193,000 years to pay back what he owed by standard wages in that day. The amount that he owed would have weighed 281 tons. This is 9 million ounces of gold talents. Now, 
If you take gold, what it's selling for as of this week at $1,924, once you multiply this out in today's money, he owes $17.3 billion. His debt is astronomical. For the king to be able to write this loan off, this debt off, he must be rolling in it. <laughs> in those days, there was no chapter 11 bankruptcy. As I said earlier, they would take the man and his wife and his children and sell them into slavery. And every proceed that they earned for that master would come back to the debtor to the one, excuse me, that had given the debt. And then they would sell all of those possessions and all of that money would go back to the master, the king. But what does the king do? Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. I'm just trying to let that settle on us the magnitude of what Jesus is saying. You see, when Jesus is telling this story, they would have known what 10,000 talents was. We don't. We think, well, I'm very gifted. I must, you know, I've got a few talents myself. <laughs> it's a monetary, it's a currency thing, okay? They would have understand what Jesus is saying. This is a staggering amount, one that no one could pay. And it's an illustration to show us just how much we have amassed an unpayable debt that we squandered in our sin what God gave to us. And when we add up all the things that we've done to fall short of his glory and we combine those with all the things that we didn't do that would have pleased him, then we see our sins as a debt that we cannot pay. His work on the cross was the only thing that could. When we sing about debts and paying our debts and forgiving us our trespasses, do we understand the magnitude of what we're saying? Do we minimize our sin package and accentuate somebody else's? Do we assume that our sin didn't take as much sacrifice on the part of Jesus? It didn't take as much of his blood. It didn't take as much of his suffering for us to be forgiven. But they, on the other hand, well, that's, that's another story. Sure. Yeah, that, that's serious. How can we who have been forgiven so much refuse to forgive others. I understand the heartache and the harm and the hurt and the way that you can be wounded because someone has done you wrong. But the only way to come out of that place of woundedness and hurt is to reflect on the goodness of God and what he has done for you. Because when you see yourself as the sinner, the wretch that you are, that we all are, then we see the magnitude and the cost that he would pay for our redemption. Oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? Yes. 
There's no better way to illustrate how much we've been forgiven and how much we are called to forgive than the story of Corey Ten Boom. And I tried to summarize this, but I really just thought the best way is to let her words speak for themselves. She writes, it was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. And the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence. In silence, they collected their wraps. In silence, left the room. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next, a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man, I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Raffensbrück concentration camp, where we were sent. Excuse me, Ravensbrück. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me. Of course, how could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. 
The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. Whatever someone has done to hurt or harm or to offend you, it pales in comparison to what you have done to offend God. Forgive and you will be forgiven. I know it's hard, but he's here to help. I know it hurts, but he's here to heal. I know it seems impossible, but with God, all things are possible. In our world of retribution and bitterness and spite, God has forgiven us and called us to be a community of forgiveness. Those who've received his forgiveness and those who give it to others. May we have ears to hear and hearts to obey. Amen. Donna, my wife, is going to come and we'd like to pray for you as we draw to a close this morning. I'm just going to read a paragraph from C.S. Lewis about forgiveness. He says, sometimes I find I am asking God not to forgive me, but to excuse me. And forgiveness and excusing are almost opposites. Forgiveness says, yes, you have done this thing, but I accept your apology and I will never hold it against you. And everything between us two will be exactly as it was before. Real forgiveness means looking steadily at the sin, the sin that is left over without any excuse. After all allowances have been made for extenuating circumstances <laughs> and seeing it in all of its horror, dirt, meanness, and malice, and nevertheless being wholly reconciled to the one who has done it. Yes. Praise God. And he goes on in this same essay to talk about how we translate that to how we forgive other people. And we sometimes think that forgiving someone is also accepting their excuses. But here again, he says... To a Christian, it means that we have to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. Mm. So when I pray for us today, sorry, tissue. When I pray for us today, I pray that we grow in our understanding of what his forgiveness is for us. Because I think if we can see that more clearly, our capacity to forgive others will grow. So as we pray this morning, would you just think to yourself two things. 
want you to think about anyone that you need to forgive. Anyone that you need to forgive to let go. Just close your eyes right now and think about that. Is there anyone, Lord, point out to me that I'm, I am holding them responsible. I don't accept their apology or I've held it against them. I've maybe even been so offended that it's turned into a, a root of bitterness. It's, it's now holding me as much as it's holding them. Maybe it's small, maybe it's big. Doesn't matter. The small turns into big if we don't deal with it. And the big doesn't go away by avoiding it. So think about that. And I want you just to envision yourself letting them go. Releasing them. Forgiving them. Blessing them. Praying for them encouraging them. And then the other thing I want you to think about is just how much you have been forgiven. All that God has done to pay your debt that you could not pay, that no one could pay except Jesus. Think about those two things as we pray and see yourself receiving his forgiveness as you forgive another. Let's pray. Father, the bigness of what you've done for us really is beyond our comprehension. I pray, Lord, that you move past the feelings that get stirred up when we talk about something as big as forgiveness. And you move past those feelings to the facts. Where are we really? Not our excuses, but our actual trespasses. That we would receive your forgiveness and offer it in kind. Yes, Lord. God, help us live like we actually believe that you forgive. Yes, Lord. Because if we really believe it, then forgiveness would be more natural for us. That's right. Forgiveness would be a better habit for us if we lived every minute recognizing the power of your forgiveness in our own lives. I thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit that brings things to our remembrance. Everybody here today has had a memory of something either that was done to them or that they've done that needs to be washed under the blood. Yes. You forgive. And because of that, if we are in you, we can forgive. Yes. And yeah. there is nothing that can't be forgiven. That's right. Have your perfect way in us, Father transforming our hard hearts into soft ones yes, Lord. that are willing to forgive 
and grow in us a capacity to live a life of forgiveness, to exercise that muscle until it becomes a habit that is pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you with all that is in us for the work of forgiveness, of salvation, how you redeemed us, how you forgave us. I pray, Lord, that the bigness of that would really register with us, that it would really penetrate our dullness, our routine, and we would get a glimpse of how big your salvation is. Oh, what a savior. Isn't he wonderful? And I pray, Lord, that because of that, we would be people of forgiveness. Yes. Not forgiveness light, but where real healing and hope and health can come through the process of letting the Lord come close and draw us and heal us take our wounds and make them into scars that become testimonies that give glory to God yes. and defeat the devil. Lord, I pray that we'd be that kind of people. This community, this county, this city, our neighbors, they need that message of forgiveness. Help us, Lord, be ambassadors of your reconciliation that declare forgiveness is from God. We can be forgiven. You can be forgiven. And we can walk in wholeness of life. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done and what you're doing with us even now. In Jesus' name.